This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. This week, I speak with three guests who are all advocates for paid family and medical leave. Ellen Bravo, Washington State Senator Joe Fain, and Hawaii State Representative Kanyela Ng. First, I talk to Ellen Bravo, a founding director of Family Values at Work, which is a network of coalitions in 27 states working for policies such as paid sick days and family and medical leave insurance. Prior to that, Ellen was director of Nine to Five, an organization improving working conditions and ensuring the rights of women. She's written several nonfiction books, including Taking on the Big Boys or Why Feminism is Good for Families, Business, and the Nation. Ellen served on the Bipartisan Commission on Leave, appointed by Congress, to study the impact of the family and Medical Leave Act. Among her numerous commendations are a Ford Foundation Visionary Award, and, like me, she's been honored with the Families and Work Institute Work-Life Legacy Award. Now, get set to listen and learn about the progress that's been made in paid family and medical leave, how it benefits employers, employees, and their families and children, communities, our economy, and how you can get involved pretty easily in making important societal changes to help us all. Hey, Ellen, welcome back to Work and Life. Great to be here. Thank you so much. I am thrilled as ever to, to be speaking with you again, but I also have to underscore that you're here because, well, you know, we've made great strides in our world in no small measure due to your unwavering advocacy, but we still have so far to go. Oh, my gosh. Just this weekend, the New York Times had a front page story on the on workplace discrimination, um, obvious and subtle. Yes. Against against women, especially pregnant women at all levels in, in the employment hierarchy. Workplace discrimination against working women is not your main focus, I know, but it's just another piece of the puzzle that affects working families, children, and, of course, our economy as a whole. So since you were last on the show, which was just a couple of years ago, it was 2016, there's been some progress at the state and federal level for paid leave, has there not? Can you, yes. Can you give us a quick rundown? Uh, on some of the recent success stories that you know about and that have you that you've been a part of? Well, I'm going to give you a rundown not only in recent successes, but I'm going to forecast a new one. Okay. Maybe before the end of the week. All right. Um, so it's it's so great. I invite your listeners to go to our website, familyvaluesatwork.org, mm-hmm. look at the timeline of wins, and you'll see. It took six years to go from win number one to win number two. The state paid family and medical leave insurance programs. That was California, 
Second one was New Jersey. It took five years to get to number three. That was Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, we had two more wins in D.C. and New York. And within six months, a third, Washington State. So we've doubled the number. And hopefully this year, and maybe even this week, we're going to see the seventh. And that's the state of Massachusetts. One way or another, they're going to add to the list this year. That's really exciting. This is, we're talking about, you know, some more than 30 million people uh, mm-hmm. who newly have access to, will newly have access to this. And one thing that's great is that as the people, we now have evidence. We have, this isn't pie in the sky, what we wish we could mm-hmm. have. We have years of evidence, and we've learned from it. And so, for example, the new bills that have been passed under uh, reckon with the fact that low-wage workers had a hard time taking leave if the wage replacement level was too low. Mm-hmm. And they're designing programs that will mean 90% wage replacement for the people earning the least and needing it the most. So that's, that's an increase. Fabulous. That's an increase in that it, that enables it to be a real a real benefit that they can actually that's use. That's exactly right. And also longer number of weeks to make it more realistic for what is a modest minimum. I have to keep reminding people that we're not talking about something generous or the gold standard. We're just talking still about a modest minimum, but still a more sustainable minimum. And guess what? The early states have gone back to improve their laws. Hmm. So we've seen improvements in California. New Jersey is about to pass a law that will increase, make their wage replacement more sustainable, make the number of weeks doubled for family leave, uh, ensure job protection to a greater number of people, and a number of other things. That's that's really inspiring, and, and the, so likewise the, the new one that's going to pass in Massachusetts. So the pace, the pace of, of progress is, is speeding, isn't it? It is, and you know, we're seeing it mirrored in a number of companies that have taken a position of expanding their leave and making it more equitable so that men as well as women can use it. And some, like Facebook, have understood that we need that leave not just to care, to welcome new babies, which is great, but... 75% of leave takers, I'm sure you know, need that time for either their own healing or to care for a loved one, mm-hmm. including often sick children. So this is not just about new babies. Right. Even people who aren't parents have parents mm-hmm. or partners or their own health that may require them to take leave. And it's one of the things that smart employers realize is a way not to let there be division or disagreement among workers who say, well, how come you get the leave? I don't have kids and I have to. Well, you can have it too. Unfortunately, all of us at some time or other are going to have to deal with our own illness or or caring for a dear loved one. And this makes it possible and it makes it affordable Mm -hmm. for small businesses who want to do this but really can't afford to do it on well, their own. I, I want to talk about the affordability and, and because that's where you meet some resistance, right, um, you know, to the to the advance of more progressive policies that, that fund um, family and medical, paid family and medical leave. But I want to first jump back to something that you said earlier, and that is that we have increasing evidence, yes. uh, increase a, a larger body of evidence now as to what works and how it works. Can you give us a brief summary of what that evidence tells us? Well, you know, we made, again, this is something you, on our website, there's an FMLI, Family Medical Leave Insurance, fact sheet. Mm-hmm. So it will have not just the um, 
these facts, but also links to the research. Great. Um, and it, there's also a graphic, an infographic called Intended Consequences. Mm-hmm. So whether you come at this because you care about kids, you care about seniors, you care about helping people with chronic illness, the economy, business profitability, breastfeeding, vaccinations for children, etc., all of those things, a greater role for dads, things that we say as a society we care about, and yet unfortunately we still punish men who want to be good dads mm-hmm. by having them lose either their paycheck or their job. Um, and what we've learned is that unlike um, the people who warned that the sky would fall, in fact, the majority of businesses, the vast majority, like 90%, in places that have been living with this say that they've experienced either positive or no negative impact. Um, If you think about things like women's employment, this helps women stay Mm -hmm. attached to the workforce. Mm -hmm. It means lower levels of public assistance, Um, all these things that are critical to our values as a society, paid leave is often the missing piece to help them happen. And and the best evidence comes still from the the California studies uh, that have some longitudinal data, right, about uh, retention, uh, particularly of women. about job retention and and higher earnings for women and um, higher take-up rates for men. But there's Mm -hmm. also now research from Rhode Island and from New Jersey Mm -hmm. um, to add to that. And that's that's really exciting. Plus, we have evidence from the companies that have done this. Um, I want to make sure that your listeners know this, that a lot of people, unfortunately, think when we say paid family and medical leave that what we want is for the government to tell employers you must pay people while they're out on leave. And that's a real misunderstanding. The great news is this is a, as you well know, social insurance program that pools small contributions and that can be either from just employees or employees and employers and in different percentages. And you'll hear from your guests in the second half mm-hmm. more about what the, how they're doing it in Washington State, for example. Mm-hmm. But it pulls these small contributions into a fund, just like any other insurance company. And that's why all of our coalitions have so many small business partners, because what they say literally is, this is how I can compete with larger employers to attract and retain talented employees, people that I've invested in, people whose families I know and care about, but I can't afford to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. This makes it possible for me. And obviously also many big businesses because like you and a couple hundred other business professors, um, many employers understand that this is good for the bottom line, and also good for communities and for our families. So the the point about small businesses is, is a really important one because the larger companies have more slack resources to invest in competing for the best talent with policies like extended uh, paid family and medical leave. Uh, in fact, in some industries like in tech and finance now, you you see companies literally falling all over each other trying to you know, out- uh, uh, outleave the others uh, for, for the primary purpose of being, in, you know, at the top of uh, the labor market in terms of who they can attract and retain. But the small businesses can't really afford to do that. So this is a way state-supported 
municipally supported uh, family medical leave insurance programs enable the small businesses to to get in that game. Exactly, but you know, and you know what else those business owners tell us? They what? care about their customers as well as their staff, hmm. and they know that people who go bankrupt or in debt because they had a baby or a dad with cancer are not going to spend money on their food, their services, their products, and that it's good for the economy for people to stay solvent. And that's that's what's exciting to us. We feel like making mm-hmm. this case isn't about um, just having more power, although we hope we do, mm-hmm. but it's also about uh, we have the evidence, we have the goods, and more and more we're seeing people say this, oh yeah, this is the only, this is the smartest way to do this, and it's the way to cover everybody. No other system can do it as well. So what what stands in the way of, uh, of greater um, acceptance of this policy around our nation today? Uh, unfortunately, I think the main thing that stands in the way is lobbyists for big um, retail association, manufacturers association, chambers of commerce, who almost in a knee-jerk way feel it's their job to stop any change that might have an impact on business. And again, as your next guest um, you know, will say, there are more Republicans who are coming to support these. Washington State passed with bipartisan support. Vermont passed with tripartisan support. But unfortunately, there are, um, you know, money gets in the way. Money in politics gets in the way. And there are lobbyists who are saying this is a bad thing, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in some cases, there's uh, an ideological edge to, um, you know, partisan opposition just, again, kind of knee-jerk way. So we're, we're hoping that um, more and more people are going to realize these are good, this is good politics as well as good policy, and join us in calling for something that is, like I said, a modest, modest minimum, but nevertheless inclusive, comprehensive, and sustainable. Those are really important characteristics of a program that can succeed. So what... How would you characterize what a successful campaign looks like at a, at a state level? And, and, and indeed, for those listening who might want to add their voice to the choir, what, what should they be thinking about doing? Well, I'd love to have them go sign up on our website, and we'll connect them to state campaigns or to ways that they can speak out. I'll tell you why we're winning. First of all, foremost, is that regular people have realized that what happened to them when they did what you know we've encouraged them to do be a good parent to their child or a good child to their parent and then suddenly found themselves uh in debt or financial hardship mm-hmm. that that doesn't have to happen that there is a solution that it wasn't a result of um some some individual fault of theirs but in fact that it's a structural problem and that our country is an outlier everyone else in the world literally, except for Papua New Guinea in the United States, has, is figuring this out. And that they can help make the change by mm-hmm. sharing their story and talking about themselves as, um, uh, you know, doing, doing something right and then having this 
negative consequence and that calling on their elected officials to recognize the need for uh, valuing families, for really um, making it possible for us to do, be the loving, provide the loving care that we want to do. So that's one ingredient that's really important. Mm-hmm. A second is building very broad and diverse coalitions from that include restaurant owners and restaurant workers, um, people who care about disabilities, people who care about ending poverty, LGBTQ communities, uh, you know, p- people who are um, based in communities of color, immigrant communities that are see the need for these policies, but also professionals who understand that their careers get um, damaged um, and and their earnings and their prospects um, really weakened just because of the lack of a simple mm-hmm. program that could help us all. So so contacting state representatives, but it's it's more than that. Uh, it, it, what else can people be doing in terms of, you know, direct action that, that doesn't cost them too much of their time, given that they're probably strapped already? Yeah, and one of the things that we really see people do, and, and there's a, a pamphlet on our website called Why I Became an Activist, mm-hmm. and it describes people who never thought of themselves that way, and mm-hmm. then somebody said to them, hey, we're part of a campaign. What happened to you shouldn't have happened. Join us in speaking out about it. And they suddenly realize they can write letters to the editor. They can mm-hmm. testify. They can talk to their neighbors and friends. Mm-hmm. They can hold a help host a party in their house or a community meeting, a candidate forum, and say, this is what matters to us. Where do you stand on this? Will you join us? And work with us to get this to be to be changed. So there are many, many ways, even for people who have very little time and few of any resources. There are many ways to make yourself heard. What we, what what people keep telling us, I couldn't do this on my own. Of course. But I realized that when we work together, we can make this happen. So is this uh, primarily like a, a blue state um, uh, initiative, or do you find that there are people on both sides of the aisle who were wanting to support um, these initiatives at the state and local level? One of the things we're doing is identifying more people on both sides of the aisle. We certainly think they should. There's no reason this isn't a bipartisan issue. Um, But the other thing is helping people uh, find a a, a way to come together and, Mm -hmm. um, and convince the people in their elected office, um, as your next guest is going to say, it doesn't. You don't have to be a genius to read a poll and to see how much support there is for this. And that's one of the things that we're trying to help people understand what mm-hmm. how popular these issues are with voters across the political spectrum, and you know how important it is for people of faith mm-hmm. and many many others. Uh, I understand there's a film. Zero Weeks, uh, which which speaks directly to this issue. Can you tell us about Zero Weeks? Yeah, we were so proud to work with this filmmaker. Her name is Kai Dickens. This is her fourth film. And Zero Weeks is a documentary that follows six subjects, each of whom had zero weeks of paid leave and each of whom needed it for a variety of reasons. One, because she had cancer. One, to care for a father with leukemia. One, to care for an aging mother 
who had a knee replacement, and three with various needs related to a new child. You know, our hearts are broken seeing these children separated from their parents at the border, but there are every day in the United States American children who are separated from their parents mm. in the NICU and in the cancer wards because their parents would lose their jobs or their pay if they sat next to them. Um, and and many parents who are in those situations who do indeed wind up losing a job or a home, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, the film makes that real for us, but it also brings a variety of voices, uh, helps make the case, shows how it works, and then shows several campaigns in action in D.C. and New York and Wisconsin. Um, and two of them, we see to the end when we see them win, which is really exciting. You asked before about red states. Mm-hmm. You know, there are campaigns in places like Wisconsin and in um, North Carolina and um, Nebraska and New Mexico. There are lots of places that are building these coalitions. Eventually, what we need is a national program because it shouldn't yes. matter where you live or who you work for, whether you, in fact, have access to income when you're taking care of yourself or a loved one. Um, But all of these, this activity and momentum is building the movement and the model for the kind of program that can really be successful. What's it going to take at the national level? Well, what we're hoping is that people will understand um, what I loved. There was a cover story in the New Republic a couple of years ago that said from a progressive pipe dream to political reality that showed how mainstream this issue has become. Mm-hmm. I think we've now seen, you know, the last presidential elections, all the candidates felt they needed to speak to this, and that will mm-hmm. continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, some proposals that are coming up are going to take us in the wrong direction. They would cover too few people for too few reasons at too little money. And one of those is a proposal that's come from an independent women's forum, it's called, a group that says quite openly they want to privatize Social Security, that we'd have leave, it would just be for parents of new children, which again would leave out 75% of leave takers, and -hmm. it would be that you'd borrow against your Social Security, which is going to be really hard, both for Social Security in general, and particularly for those people who, for whom that is their retirement, they pretty much depend only on Social Security. And it would mean, you know, there was a study done that showed you would basically have to wait twice as long as the amount of time you took the leave for to retire. And Yikes. You know, for many people in hard jobs, when you retire isn't a question of leisure, so- it's a question of physical Mm-hmm. wearing out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we think that's that's a an idea. It's not just that it doesn't go far enough. It takes us in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And remembering the... Um, so how does one... How does we one... can do both. We can yeah. make Social Security shored up and solvent and, and dependable, and we can create paid family and medical leave, and that's what we need to do. So, so where does one go to speak out against the, that alternative plan that, that requires borrowing against Social Security? Um, you know, it's as simple as, we'll, again, contact us and we'll get you the information. Okay. This is going to be 
coming up soon, maybe, but the best way is to just speak out to your mm-hmm. elected official about what you need, that you need a program that you want to make sure includes you if you're caring for a mom with Alzheimer's or you're caring for, um, you know, your own um, recovery from cancer or you have a child, you know, who is seriously injured and needs care, all of those they should be included to emphasizing the components of a good plan mm-hmm. that values all care and all families. And it's not That's just a great thing to do. And it's not just for uh, for women, as it has traditionally been seen as a, a women's issue. It, that that is certainly no longer the case, right? Or, I, I assume that you're saying Absolutely. more and more men join this movement. Yes, and so you know, for Father's Day, we had lots of wonderful op-eds by both by dads and also men who are caring for dad, mm-hmm. or men or women who are caring for dad, pointing out the role of men, as, the growing role of men as caregivers. You mentioned that the tech companies and others mm-hmm. are competing with each other mm-hmm. to have good plans. Well, part of it is their male employees say, I need to know that I can work at a place where my life outside of work is valued as well as my life at the workplace. And who, you know, who understand the issue of harmony, as you've mm-hmm. talked about for years, and um, see themselves as caregivers. And they, are, they aren't helpers. They are members of a family who look out for each other. And, um, you know, millennial men are more and more speaking up yes. about the need for that. They are and indeed. And more and more older men are in the situation where they have aging parents mm-hmm. who need care from them it's, or it's, they're in the sandwich generation. The, the so need is so great and and so wide and so. Campaigns. I'm sorry. Please finish your thought. I, I... No, no. It's just that. Just that men are a critical part of our campaigns. Yes, exactly. And it is. It's a ubiquitous issue. I mean, everybody faces this at some point or another, and it doesn't take much to add your voice uh, for um, for bring for for creating greater support for for meaningful change at the local level. Um, right. The state. Uh, the state and municipal level, that's where all the action is right now. Eventually, we might get there at the national level. I mean, we, we really need to, but... Uh, th- oh, we will. The we traction... will in the next three to five years, and we will mm-hmm. because these states that are winning are paving the way for that to happen yes. because there's growing demand. And, you know, one of the things that your listeners can do is figure out, can they host a screening of the movie Zero Week? Great idea. If you go to their website, zeroweeks.com, you'll see how to ask. And there's a way to do it. You could see if your congregation wants to do a showing, mm-hmm. um, you know, a neighborhood group, et cetera. And certainly in places where we are, we'd be glad to help you um, figure out who to connect with to make that happen. Well, Ellen, it's clear that uh, you are um, maintaining your energy and commitment to this cause, and that just seems to be growing. And I am uh, grateful to you for doing that and really appreciate your taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about what's happening and what people can do. What What else do you want to say about what listeners uh, might want to do to find out more about Family Values at Work? Just go to our website, familyvaluesatwork.org. Like us on Facebook, Family Values at Work, so that you can get alerts and keep up mm-hmm. with uh, good news because um, there's lots more activity going on. Also see how you can plug in. This is the thing that's exciting. There are so many leaders all over the country. Mm-hmm. This is never, you know, um, 
this is a leaderful movement, mm-hmm. and we welcome you all in it. And there's so much that your voice matters, and sharing your experience and the variety of reasons why people need this time and your support for a sustainable source of funding for it is huge. cannot emphasize enough how much it means. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us and for all the great work you do. Really appreciate Likewise. it. Likewise. Take good care. Thank you. Next up, I talked to two elected state government officials about their experience supporting paid leave. Republican Senator Joe Fain of Washington State has been in the Senate since 2010. He's been both the minority and majority floor leader. Joe is the prime sponsor of the landmark legislation to create a statewide paid family and medical leave program by convening a bipartisan group of lawmakers and business and labor leaders. Representative Kanyela Ng, a Democratic representative from Hawaii, has been fighting for working families since he was a child in one. He's been serving in the state legislature since he was 23 years old. And now he's running for Congress. The birth of his first child has brought the particular issue of paid family leave right to the front of his mind and his action. So now, get set to listen and learn from Senator Joe Fain and Representative Kanyela Ng. Senator Fain, Representative Ng, thank you so much for joining us. Let us start, if we can, with Senator Fain. Can you just share briefly your story with our listeners? Well, absolutely. And it's really great to be uh, talking about this today. And I couldn't agree with you more about the great work that uh, Ellen has done to bring this issue into the foreground uh, over uh, so many years. And it's great that we're finally seeing some really big successes on the state level. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll just briefly say that uh, my first child was born two years ago. And uh, on the heels of of him coming into my life, uh, recognized that despite the you know, real privilege that I have in my family. My wife as an attorney has a great um, paid leave policy at her through her employer. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of great family uh, in our area that are able to pitch in and help out with a, with a new one coming into the, into our lives. Um, but we were still exhausted and we're a, you know, privileged family. And so mm-hmm. I can only imagine what um, every other family that is facing the, hardship of a of an illness from a family member or of their own illness uh, or the joy of bringing a, a, a new um, uh, a new child into uh, this world that they're facing a lot of hardship um, and that there's a role for for government to get involved in trying to make that uh, an easier transition and to really put family at the uh, at the center of our of our policy making absolutely so that's, what, that's what we turn to uh, to do here in Washington state uh, in the 2017 legislative session mm-hmm. and uh, put this issue, I, I wouldn't say front and center, but almost just out of the limelight enough where key people were able to get together, business, labor, Democrats, Republicans, House members, Senate members, uh, key people were able to get together and get in a room and really depoliticize the issue for, for once and have a real policy-based conversation that wasn't about 
you know, what was getting, who was getting hit with a direct mail piece or what, uh, uh, who, what legislator was being, uh, slammed as being anti-business or anti-woman or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And we actually came out of that really thoughtful, um, and difficult negotiation, uh, with what we believe is a, a model for the rest of the nation in terms of a, of a paid family leave system. Before we get to your description of what that model is, what was it that was so difficult about that negotiation? What was the heart of the conflict? Well, you know, there are, there are negotiations that are difficult because they have intractable differences, and there are negotiations that are difficult because nobody really knows where anybody is at any given time. You know what I mean? Where it's a, it's, it's not like my number's five and your number's seven, so let's meet in the middle of six. There are really significant and fundamental misunderstandings on both sides of that table of what it might mean for a business to have this new regulatory uh, structure, what it might mean for an employer to mm-hmm. not be able to um, take certain types of time off or to have to have what we, you know, not to get into the weeds, but to have to have attachment to a particular employer before they could benefit mm-hmm. from a program like this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so really it was formulating a, a negotiation that was around educating everyone in the room so that there was a lot more empathy. There was a lot more understanding. Um, there was a lot more of an interest negotiations. So people really knew what was important to them, as opposed to a lot of the traditional negotiations we see nowadays on big political thorny issues that are done mostly in the press uh, and in in with a lot of politics and negativity. And we were able to avoid all that in this hmm. negotiation. That's By keeping it out of the limelight. By keeping it a little bit out of the limelight. Hmm. That's an interesting legislative strategy, uh, the nuances of which I'm interested in. But before we get to that, uh, I want to I want to bring uh, Representative Ng into the conversation. Uh, Kenyela Ng, you are a congressional candidate now uh, from Hawaii. You're a state representative. Do I have that right? That's correct. Welcome. Uh, what what brings you to this issue? Well, thanks for having me. Like like the senator uh, from across the aisle, I mean, I, we're a solidly Democratic Party, but our experience here um, in the legislature, we're like 95 percent Democrats. One party has been very, very similar. We're trying to decide it's the social insurance model, temporary disability insurance, uh, how much do employees chip in, employers, the government. Mm-hmm. It's been ongoing for about four years now. So, you know, I've been fighting for paid family leave since my first term in office. I was 23 years old. Uh, it was very metaphoric, but it wasn't until wait you were twenty year old. Hold on, hang on. You now, were you were twenty three when you were a, a state representative. Did, yeah, did I hear that right? Sort of a long story, but uh, yeah, we, I ran against an incumbent, knocked on a lot of doors, and um, we were able to to get through. But um, okay, you know, I, I land on the more progressive side of things. So mm-hmm. I've been um, you know fighting for this issue for, for quite a bit now, but it wasn't until we had our first child, my partner and I, mm-hmm. similar to the, to the Senator, um, two years ago. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a legislator, uh, Cara, she's the director of the Hawaii state commission on the status of women. So we're also rather privileged. Um, we're shot with a lot of student debt, but we travel, our schedules are tight mm-hmm. and we need a certain amount of sleep for our jobs. So most people do two years. Yeah. So our first two years, <laughs> has been a, a real experience hmm. but um you know i know from servers to drivers to cashiers the vast majority of parents have it much worse 
Like, I was able to take Laguna, our son, on the campaign trail with me last re-election at two weeks old. Laguna, um, what a cool got, name. No, I know. It's, it's actually <laughs> not Laguna Beach. It's where oh. the, in the Philippines where his grandparents came from. I see. I'm sorry, I interrupted. But, uh, please please continue. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, so, you know, we got a lot of flack from my opponents, uh, but we didn't really have a, a choice because he was too young for a sitter. You got you got flack for for what for bringing your child with you on the campaign trail? Yeah, they said we were politicizing our son. I gave a speech on the house floor three days after um, it was like a big voting day. Three days after he was born, uh, and I I got my my opponent sent out a mailer and was knocking the door saying I was absent too many days of session because I missed four out of eighty days. And my response was, you know, I my only regret is not missing more, frankly. Hmm. Uh, I wish I was around a little bit more than those first couple of weeks, but you know, as a, as a man, I get I get cookies, I get awes from from people for meeting my basic duties. But Cara, mm-hmm. her efforts are often overlooked, so I, I also mm-hmm. have that privilege. Mm-hmm. And we we both recognize the rareness of even being able to take our kids to work. So like half of my office is, is like a nursery because there's often days where he's not able to go to daycare because of some sickness mm-hmm. in the building. Uh, so I, I take him with me to the legislature. I vote with him on the House floor. Uh, the House Sergeant of Arms gives me um, some grief sometimes. I'm not able to take him into conference committee with me. Uh, my colleagues talk about me going on the dad track. Uh, and well, but you know, we, these are all these barriers to these sorts of issues. But we but, have uh, we have a, a U.S. senator who's breastfeeding in the Senate now, right? So, like, why can't you bring your two-year-old? Uh, yeah, I, Tammy, Senator Duckworth is is it's groundbreaking. It, it's really remarkable. But I think uh, you know, I think for, for for women, it's often because there's like an expectation of caregiving. Um, mm. They, they they face their own set of challenges, often much, much worse than men. Like I said, I get, like, a, a lot of credit and kudos for doing the most basic things. Mm-hmm. But I also – there's also a different set of challenges for men. Like, I get um, – I'm starting to get pushed out of that, like, boys club a little. Really? Well, uh, because you're you're too much in the caregiving role, and so you're not you're not being considered uh, – I mean, there's a stigma associated with your activities on this front? Yeah, I mean that, that. I think that stigma is less than it used to be a generation ago. But yes, it still exists, especially hmm. um, among like my my younger peers. Like I, you know, they know I can't go out, I can't stay after hours and drink. Like um, as as is part of the culture, and mm-hmm. I, I think the the political system generally is not set up for um, new parents to succeed. But again, hmm. contextually, most jobs are way worse, and that's why we need to push these paid leave programs. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Joe, Canyella, what, what would you like to know from each other as to how you're progressing on your various initiatives here? Uh, you probably have some questions, and maybe you can share best practices. Uh, Joe, what, what do you want to know from Canyella? Well, we were uh, mostly I want to know uh, how, he, how he manages the work-life balance because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. That's the, uh, that's the big question that I have. Put the politics and the, uh, and the policy aside for the second. It's just how do you, how do you make it happen? In fact, um, my wife and I are expecting our second um, uh, son to be arriving. I kid you not, at 9:30 tomorrow morning. So, oh my, uh, congratulations! 
Thanks very much. No, we're we're really excited. But these are the exact questions that we're uh, that we're asking ourselves because you know it's a citizen legislature here in Washington. Fortunately, she's still with the same employer and has uh, has her generous paid leave. Um, I don't work for an employer outside. I mean, I have my mm-hmm. you know part time state senate position, but my private sector employer doesn't have um, paid leave, and so mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out how to balance the finances and make it all work and all the things that that parents and families have been doing for years but as we know from the statistics they've been they've been you know not thriving while they're trying to do it mm-hmm. i mean we know that uh that uh only one in 20 lower income um moms have any kind of paid leave at all and most of them are back at work uh within a uh within a week or two of of giving birth and we also know from the dad perspective that uh, a dad will take one day off of leave for every 30 days that a mom will take off and uh, representative Ng is absolutely right you know we'll walk around with our kids in tow and and get uh, the, the kudos and the high fives oh what a good dad but that's because the expectation mm-hmm. has always fallen on the mom to be that primary <clears throat> caregiver and we know that it's just a host of uh, of inequities that stem from that uh-huh. um, that we all try to well you're we all try to deal with your modeling an alternative is is part of the solution of course and by pressing to you know demonstrate that uh taking equal responsibility for child rearing is something that uh is, should be normal uh i'm certainly hoping that uh, that that just continues to spread as it has been so so, Kanyala, uh, can you uh, can you address Joe's question? How do you do it? Or perhaps you'd rather not and just ask him, like, how did you get your bill in front of uh, uh, all your colleagues and move it forward in the in the state legislature? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm, I'm probably in the probably in the same boat. Uh, it's exciting to hear that you're having a, a second one on their way. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, he hit the nail on the head about. Um, you know, most men, I think there was a study out saying that 73% of dads agree that there's little workplace support for fathers. Uh, one in five were afraid of losing their job if they took the full amount of fraternity leave offered to them. So even when it's offered, the, that that uh, threat to, to lose your job, that uh, expectation to be the primary breadwinner, uh, it all it all contributes to the, to the problem. Um mm-hmm. 69% of fathers confirmed that they would change jobs to spend more time with their children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're in situations that are tough, the, the vast majority of of us. Uh, so, but, you know, results show that men are more satisfied with their lives, even their sex lives, when they can be the caregivers that they want to be. Uh, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to uh, some of the myths out there, but... Uh, you know, they, they worry that if they prioritize their children mm-hmm. over work and they worry about their income and their family's income and uh, everything else that will suffer. So, um, you know, it's, it's we in our policies, we got to figure out a way not just to offer uh, these policies to men and women, but make sure that they're being find some ways, either incentives or even explore requirements to that um, that push both genders, both sexes to uh, actually utilize these policies equally. So um, what would you recommend that listeners do if they want to be a part of this progressive movement and make it not so much a a red-blue issue or a business labor issue, but a human issue that everyone uh, can get behind? What do you recommend? Call your legislators. I know there's a lot of talk. Uh, It's 
Trump in the state of the state even mentioned paid family leave. We don't know what that looks like. We don't. I don't know what he's talking about. There hasn't been any bill that's gone up to vote. So it's really going to happen on the state and local levels, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in state legislatures. And, you know, in Hawaii, we've been studying this issue uh, like ad nauseum. It, it won't stop. The studies continue. Mm-hmm. We had the Department of Labor, um, Tom Perez, under Obama, yep. um, initiate like this really robust long-term study in Hawaii. Those re- uh, We didn't pass the bill last year because we were waiting for the results to come out. They came out, and this year we passed even another study because we're saying that the state um, Department of Labor didn't participate enough. Well, they purposely didn't participate, so we wouldn't have the data. So Hmm. it's really incumbent on the public not just to to recognize progress, but to push the legislature to actually move and pick a policy um, because that's really the job. Like I think the bill that almost passed this year was going to be a stakeholder group where business community and labor and everyone comes together and finds a solution. Uh, but really, that's the job of the policy makers right. um, is to set those policies and just move forward with it. So have your candidates in, in your area talk about it early and often on the campaign trail. And uh-huh. once whoever's in office, make sure that they're not just a good vote, but we're going to be championing an issue. Because that's really, at least in Hawaii, that's the way it works in the legislature is we all have a certain amount of political coin. And mm-hmm. um, you got to have at least one or two legislators willing to spend the most, if not all, of their coin mm-hmm. on a big issue like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't just be, even if 100% of people support it in their votes, it probably will still die from other people's priorities. So you really need champions. And I should say that there's two men on this program um, and one man, in, uh, one man interviewing me, um, us. Yeah. It's great that we're involved in the issue. That's what it's going to take to make it move. But mm-hmm. the champions have really been uh, women, mm-hmm. and including the testifiers talking about how you know they have, they've seen their children die because they're too early for daycare, but they mm-hmm. have no choice because of they can't stay home. They don't have that option. And it's just been such a tragic issue to keep hearing about every year, and um, it's past time that, that we move. It's, just, it's a humane thing to do. Well, I think uh, the representative hit the nail on the head there, which is there's a real opportunity to make this an issue that matters in elections um, and make it an issue that isn't just dominated by one side of the political aisle or the other side and that isn't just about um, being considered a woman's issue. I mean, the idea mm-hmm. that we would that we would just consider this as, you know, put it in the category of woman's issue is uh, is kind of condescending both to women and to men, quite frankly. I agree. Uh, this, has, this has to be uh, as much a, a man's issue as it is a woman's issue, and that's going uh, to help drive this, uh, drive this forward. We had great success in Washington um, I, in passing the bill. Now it's about making sure it gets implemented. And as soon as we have uh, individuals that are, for the first time, being able to spend time in that critical time in their child's life, uh, that's going to ripple throughout the, the nation, I hope. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to take this on the road and, and talk to my colleagues on both sides of the aisle about why it's important for us as a nation to uh, embrace this kind, of a, this kind of a policy. So you can tell your story to other states and municipalities that are looking for uh, a model for how to make it work. Absolutely. And I've been doing a lot of that. I've been traveling around uh, mm-hmm. um, and when working with legislators uh, in other states and even back in D.C. talking with some of our uh, federal representatives. Um, they might not be they might not be ready to, to take the leap, but uh, there are a number of states that are really strongly considering this. And mm-hmm. um, if we can if we can take the edge off, we can depoliticize if we can make it mm-hmm. about uh, strengthening families, something that both parties uh, you know, really claim to be behind. 
Uh, we are unfortunately out of time at this point. I, I just uh, have a moment here to thank you both, State Senator Joe Fain of Washington and uh, Democratic State Representative and Congressional Candidate Kanyela Ng from Hawaii. Thank you both, gentlemen, for joining me uh, to discuss this really important issue and to tell us about your, your efforts on behalf of paid family uh, medical leave in your states. And I'm sure people can just find you online to find out more about the work that you're doing there. Um, thank you both very much for joining us. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ellen Bravo, Republican Senator Joe Fain of Washington State, and Democratic Representative Kanyela Ng of Hawaii. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Go to the Family Values at Work website and learn what's happening in your state and local area. And secondly, check out the new film Zero Weeks and see how you can easily bring it to your group or organization. I would love to hear from you about what you think of the film and about the family and medical leave policies in your workplace, in your state, in your local area. Contact me, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or at Stu Friedman on Twitter. And if you have ideas about guests you'd like to hear on the show, talking about all things work and life, please let me know. Again, I can be reached at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.